Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. A safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of your favorite mental health podcast, You Me Empathy. This is episode 168 on the silence, stigma, and shame in miscarriage with Dr. Jessica Zucker. My name is Known Wells, and I'm your host and creator of You Me Empathy and the Feely Human Collective at feelyhuman.co. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Uh, today on the show, Jessica Zucker and I, Jessica is a psychologist and author of the new book, Out Tomorrow, in fact, called I Had a Miscarriage, a Memoir, a Movement. I read it. It's beautiful. It's about trauma and shame and uh, stigma that exists in the world of motherhood and pregnancy and infant loss. Uh, it's powerful, it's moving, it's eye-opening, and I highly, highly recommend you pick it up for anyone, even if you're not someone who has children or intends to have children, uh, like myself. I'm a cisgendered male person biologically who cannot have children, uh, you know, out of my own womb, and I, I still think it's a, a powerful read that you need to read. So, uh, it's available for pre-order right now. Highly recommend you pre-order it. Uh, it's out tomorrow. I have links to her book, I Had a Miscarriage, in the show notes for this episode at feelyhuman.co. So we talk a lot about the book. We talk a lot, a lot about stigma and shame and pregnancy, the jaw-dropping do- statistics of mis- miscarriage we're not talking about, and uh, a whole lot more. Uh, before we get to the episode, though, I wanted to just remind you that you can find all the show notes for this podcast, Yumi Empathy, at feelyhuman.co. That's feelyhuman.co. And uh, at that same website, you can sign up for the Feely Human 101 workshop. You can, I'm looking for new writers for the journal. So go to feelyhuman.co and check out the journal uh, link on the top in the navigation. Um, I also have a shop if you want to buy some stickers, some pins, some t-shirts. Uh, all of that supports me and the work I do. And speaking of support, I also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash feelyhuman where you can uh, spend five bucks a month and you get an extra bonus episode of this podcast every month. Uh, and then there are various other reward tiers from there. Um, check it out. That's uh that's at feelyhuman dot no that's at patreon.com slash feelyhuman and again the website is feelyhuman.co. The last thing I'll say is uh uh I'm two months sober, uh which feels great. Um two months was maybe a day or two ago. That feels great, and I'm grateful and I've been reading some good books lately. In addition to I had a miscarriage. Uh, my Inner Sky with my previous guest, last week's guest, Mari Andrew, is wonderful. Uh, of course, uh, Kate Flanders' book, Adventures in Opting Out, I read recently. That is wonderful. Um, uh, uh, the Beauty of What Remains by Rabbi Steve Leader is a beautiful book that I highly recommend. And, um, and uh, I just started reading. Uh, I'm not too far into it, but uh, it's a book to add to your uh, to-read list in the future. It's called Know Your Endo by Jessica Murnane. Um, that's coming out in April, I believe, so check that out. Um, yeah, just some book recommendations. Isn't that fun? Um, but thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I truly um, 
am so grateful for your presence, your heart, and keep being you, truly. Like, there is so much power and strength in knowing ourselves and recognizing what lights us up. Uh, We know ourselves best, you know? It's, It's not anyone else. It's not culture. It's not you know, the, the, the pull for, you know, wanting to be someone else or, or wanting to be just like someone else or compete with someone else. It's, it's really us. It's like, we know ourselves best. Um, hold on to that and, and keep exploring and be curious about that. Cause that is where the real juice happens. That's where the real source of empathy and connection and healing comes from is, is that knowing journey and, and honoring what we know, honoring ourselves. Um, Sometimes it's hard because boundaries have to be in place. Sometimes it's hard because certain people in our lives don't want to see us in our, don't want to see us thrive or grow, or they don't want us to change, right? But the truth of the matter is we we know what's best for us. And um, that's the journey. So keep holding on to that. Keep uh, you know, leading with your heart, feeling your feelings, being curious about your emotions, um, allowing yourself the time and space and energy to be in those those pockets of vulnerability and gray and and uncomfortableness, because um, that's that's where the richness happens. Okay, so we can't do it every day. Some days we just need to, you know sit on the couch and watch uh, The Good Place for the seventh time, you know, or whatever. So, but, you know, it's a journey. So, and baby steps are important too. And you're important to me for listening. Um, So, thank you for being here. Again, you can support me at feelyhuman.co or on Patreon, patreon.com slash feelyhuman. And uh, please leave a rating and review for the podcast in uh, Apple Podcasts. It does truly help out the show. If you like the show and you haven't left a review, please do so. Um, Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, let's get to the episode. This is episode 168 with uh, Dr. Jessica Zucker on the silence, stigma, and shame in miscarriage. You Me Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You Me Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. You Me Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm honored to be here learning with LA-based psychologist specializing in reproductive and maternal mental health, creator of the I Had a Miscarriage campaign, and author of the new book of the same name, I Had a Miscarriage, a memoir, a movement. It's Jessica Zucker. Hello. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm yeah, I'm so to happy to be here with you. Very honored to have you. Um, I I am in awe of the work that you're doing. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing, and I'm happy to be talking to another feely human. <laughs> I sure am. <laughs> I've never put it that way, but I love the way you put that. That's great. Good. Yeah. Well, thank ju- you. yeah, you're welcome. Um, let's start with an emotional check-in. We always start with an emotional check-in. How are you feeling? 
Mm. I feel hopeful today. Mm. I'm excited. I'm a little giddy. I feel grateful that today isn't yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday was not as smooth. Um, But yeah, with the book on the horizon, I just like, um, I have darting excited thoughts about uh, putting this all together and how it may or may not be received in the world. Yeah. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'll pause and and I'll answer that in a second, but I, I'll just say like to, to put a book out into the world and get it published. I mean, what a feat that is in and of itself. So kudos. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, it's, it's interesting. I sort of toggle between feeling immense pride and uh, sort of enjoying and embracing the vulnerability around all of it. And so grateful that I somehow carved out the time to do it uh, amidst this crazy world and having children underfoot and a career. Uh, and then other times I'm a little like harder on myself thinking like, what is this going to do anyway? And why did I undertake something so intense and arduous? Mm. Uh so yeah, it's it's interesting. Have you have you discovered any answers to a couple of those questions? Yeah, I mean I think I just tend to run hard on myself and so you know, when I think like wow, have I really put like 2 plus years into this and is it what I wanted it to be? I think the resounding answer, like majority of the time is yes. And I think I have to try to lean into that rather than running after the thoughts that are, uh, that could easily steal that. Mm. Uh, and to, you know, somehow minimizing how much you know work I've, I've done in yeah. this area. Yeah. Yeah. And you have done tremendous work. I, I'll be, open with the listeners. I've read the book. Um, it's, it's wonderful. I read it in a day and a half. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of was thinking about my reading of it and, and took a moment and said like, Hey, maybe I, maybe it would have been a little better to like have uh, moments of pause here and there and not have to kind of feel like I had to rush it. Although I didn't feel that I just wanted to finish, but it's it's a beautiful work, and I I relate to the um, the almost like wanting to sabotage or like put up protective measures before we put the thing out into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's such a human thing, right? I mean, I think it's particularly human if you were raised by humans who didn't sort of honor you from the inside out from the get-go. So Mm. I think like as we grow into adults, we're going to do to ourselves what our parents did to us first and foremost. I mean, until we don't hopefully, but so I think there's sprinkles of that, but, but yes, of course, I think there's a lot of self-doubt in most people when they're birthing something major. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, feel that support from your parents or no about the book or in life in life the the you know honoring you from the inside out from the get-go um that's a very important and complex question i i want to say yes but i will say more likely no uh and, and of course, nothing is black and white. So there was a lot of uh, emotional space for me vis-a-vis my father, but not so much with my mother. Yeah. Uh, and that's really, I think, it's interesting because the I'm, I'm thinking about how to talk to my family about parts of the book before it comes out. Uh, and as you probably noted, the, the chapter about my parents is the shortest. And I, <laughs> there, that, that chapter had many iterations. And I knew that 
to save myself emotionally. It was just smarter to go with the chopped down version. Mm. But it's clear from from that chapter that my mom and I have struggled, and uh, and so it shouldn't have been surprising to me that we struggled after my miscarriage as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm a cisgendered man, uh, who can't, you know, biologically have children. Uh, but, uh, there was a moment in your book where you're describing like that, um, you know, brief fight you had with your mom after the miscarriage and you wanting to, can't you see me? You know, it was like, you can't see. And I, I so feel for that. I, 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 mm. I got a little weepy reading that, that, that moment. Cause it's, you know, that's something I've had in my own life with my mother. And it's something that is difficult when there are people in the world, you know, parents or otherwise who um, aren't doing the work or aren't, you know, haven't developed the capacity to be curious about co- the complexity of our emotions and all of that stuff. It's, it's difficult when we're, it's like we're dealing, we're playing different games sometimes. Completely. Yeah. Sometimes I try to conceptualize it and I don't mean to put down like teenagers or toddlers by any means, because I have sort of both um, at my house, but um, yeah, when, when an adult seems to be sort of, um, functioning at a level, let's say, of defensiveness or concreteness uh, that resembles someone younger. It's very confusing and befuddling. Yeah. And I think that when you grow up with that, you can't not turn it in on yourself. Like, oh, it must be something that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have too many needs or I'm being difficult. Or if I would have just been more like this, X, Y, and Z would have happened instead. And, you know, it's just, it's sad for people to grow up like that. But it's interesting because when you just asked me that question, I could answer it. So I, you know, in throughout my childhood, I, I just answered the question from that lens, but I'm finding there's some anxiety about the fact that the book is about to come out. Mm. vis-a-vis them as well yeah uh so i'm not sure they really my my parents really understand my work even though it's i think it's simple to understand i'm a psychologist i specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and i've done so since way before experiencing a 16-week miscarriage at home by myself and i've been writing for years as well uh so it I don't, I don't really get how they don't get (laughs) that. um, Basically I went through this harrowing life-threatening experience that then further informed my professional, my personal life. I mean, Mm. when I think of my kids and when I think of, you know, them going through, hopefully not, but inevitably something difficult uh, in their lives and then turning that into helping others through similar things like that, that seems like a dream come true. But uh, in the context of my family, I'm not sure they see it that way. Mm. Uh, Mm. That's hard. I, I feel, I feel you. Um, And it makes sense, right? Like you talk about in the book, silence and stigma and shame. And these are things that exist in so much of our culture, right? And, you know, as it pertains to you and the work you do, very explicitly, these these things are adding so many layers of complexity and, um, uh, you know, doors that people need keys to unlock. And those keys mean, you know, uh, a willingness to be uncomfortable or a willingness to ask questions or a willingness to... Uh, level up our, our skills of empathy and compassion and um, but there's as you point out so beautifully in the book there's so much of that stigma and, and silence and shame that not just exist as external forces they exist as mm. internal forces as well 
Um, so you're just dealing with all this, like all these forces that, uh, you know, mess. it's a mess. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting. I, I mean, what I found to be the most helpful and like kind of buoyed me through the aftermath of my experience were people who I didn't know in real time, which I mean, I think says a lot, but also says a lot about how robust the pregnancy and infant loss community is online. Right. So like I knew theoretically that, that October was pregnancy and infant loss awareness month, for example. Um, But until this happened to me and I was on Twitter and on, you know, social media and seeing all of the, incredible support that people were uh, generously giving out there. Uh, it wasn't until then that I realized, wow, you know, this, there, there is community, even though there is the kind of overarching silent stigma and shame. When we hear stories reflected back to us that are similar or not even the, the details of the stories, but the feelings, yep. that is when we feel seen and heard and validated and comforted and you know free to to be fully vulnerable to be fully in our truths Um, yeah yeah Yeah. can you walk me through i I know you share about it in the book but for the listener's sake a little bit about um your own personal uh story and experience with miscarriage and and and, and the moment where you thought okay, I need to share about this. I need to maybe be vulnerable about this and what was going on there in your mind. Sure. Um, yeah, so my first pregnancy was smooth and uneventful. So I think that's an important detail to begin with yeah. uh, because it's sort of shaped how I ended up feeling about my loss. But so, you know, I got pregnant quickly and... We traveled internationally. I mean, it was, everything was fine. And I was, you know, allowed to do uh, anything throughout it. So it wasn't like I was high risk or anything. And I was really into having one kid and wasn't sure about the idea of taking on more, uh, more responsibility uh, less flexibility with my work life and and things like that. So um, expanding my family was something I needed to think long and hard about. I eventually turned a corner and sort of decided like, you know, yeah, the more love, the better. This could get interesting, more interesting. Uh, yes, more complicated as well. But I, I think I decided I was up for it. And so, again, I got pregnant quickly, thankfully. And this pregnancy, though, was very different. And, you know, you hear these old wives' tales like, okay, well, the sicker you are, the healthier it is. Or you're not as sick with a boy, you're more sick with a girl, whatever. And who knows if any of that is rooted in anything real. But, but I, I don't know. I was worried. And with my son, I wasn't worried. And with my son, I was still here in my office sitting across from people who had gone through harrowing things and had, who had suffered the unimaginable. But for some reason, my anxiety did not get peaked during that time. And so 16 weeks into the second pregnancy, I went to my dermatologist's office for just a routine mole check and went to the bathroom and found blood. Uh, thankfully, I am very close friends with my OBGYN. So another sort of unusual detail of my story, because I was able to text her and uh, contact her straight away. Uh, so after the appointment, I went straight to her office, we checked the heartbeat, everything looked perfect. The next day I decided to go to work because I was feeling up to it. And my doctor said it was okay. And that evening, that Wednesday evening, I was driving home and I I began to have what I now understand were contractions, uh, Braxton Hicks. Like I, I had this sort of like tightening around my belly Mm -hmm. and I knew that like at four months along, that just did not seem like a good sign 
So desperate for information, I contacted my friend who's midwife. She came over that night, checked the heartbeat again. Everything was fine. But the next day, that Thursday, I was home by myself. My son had gone off to preschool. My husband went to work and the baby fell out. Uh, So I reached out to my OB who walked me through what to do. So I had to literally like hold my baby between my legs, shuffling to get a pair of scissors. Sounds, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. Uh, And then cut the umbilical cord and then you hemorrhage until the placenta comes out. And the placenta typically doesn't come out until you get a procedure called a DNC. So I was hemorrhaging and my husband hurried home. We brought the baby in a bag to my doctor's office so that they could test the fetus. Uh, And then uh, basically I was hemorrhaging so much that I ended up having to have an unmedicated DNC. I mean, there's so many aspects of my story that, you know, are so dramatic and so traumatic and so out of line with actually what I've heard for years and years in the context of my office. Mm. So, uh, you know, any listeners who may be pregnant or uh, may have had a loss, I know that this is, you know, just know that most miscarriages happen in the first trimester. Most miscarriages, you show up to your doctor and there's no heartbeat or you do begin to spot most people aren't giving birth uh, to a dead baby by themselves at home. So like I said, I had already specialized in this, but I think clearly this changed my life forever. And I started writing about sort of the pain and the politics around pregnancy and infant loss after my loss, but it really wasn't until my healthy daughter was born uh, after this, that I started writing about it so intensely and so, uh, personally. And I think it was because I couldn't be vulnerable, more vulnerable during that next pregnancy. Cause I was yeah. scared shitless on a day to day basis. Um, and so I think until I was actually on the other side of pregnancy, knowing I would never be pregnant again, was when I could really like drop into this topic fully. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. So that was just a fast forward. So, so I lost the pregnancy. Uh, we tested the fetus. I will let people buy the book to read that part. Cause that sort of goes in a different direction here, but my, my OB suggested that I wait three cycles and I did get pregnant straight away again. Uh, and I, don't recommend that to anybody. Mm. Uh, but, <laughs> but we were, I was 40 uh, at that point and I, time was not on our side. So I knew that it was, it was a little bit of now or never. And it really did not allow me to process my grief in any real way. I mean, I was in therapy, of course I was, you know, writing was very helpful, but to show up at work every day pregnant again and worry every day about, you know, checking for bleeding every day Mm. for nine months was, I mean, it was horrible, Mm. just horrible. Yeah. So when we found out she was healthy and after she was born is when I was sort of able to dive into you know, the myriad ways that our lives are affected in the aftermath of loss. And so that I I kind of became obsessed with the topic and really wanting to make a dent in changing the cultural conversation or lack thereof around it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I, um, it's so, a lot. yeah, so sorry for your loss of Olive. Uh, that's, Aww. I, you know, quick anecdote. I, um, my mother lost, uh, a mm. child, uh, Hannah, um, of the doctors said pneumonia. I think she was two months old. Oh, um, my goodness. She, she would have been a younger sister to me, like three years younger, I think. And I, 
I think about her sometimes and I, I just, um, and you know, it was like, uh, me, my sister, and then her, and then two younger brothers, you know, so it was, you know, she was in the, in the, in between, you know, and it's, um, I wait. So she went on to have two more children after the, she died. That's wow. correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think about, um, that, and I think about your story and I think about just how much, um, trauma and grief that it just is so resonant in this world that mm. we're just not aware of that we're like, and, and we're not aware of it because, uh, we're not talking about it. We're not learning about it. Like I was, I was pleasantly surprised and not surprised really, but very grateful that your book really is, it, it's, it's a, tome about grief in a, mm. in a lot of ways you know yeah. and, and 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 grief being this thing that is so weird and like a little monster that is unique <laughs> to each of us right and and um true. and it and it makes a, a tremendous amount of sense that you couldn't go there and st- really start grieving until your daughter you know uh noah or Noah. yeah yeah, Noah. No, yeah. Noah was born, and and mm-hmm. that makes total sense. So I thank you, and and I I'm just grateful this book exists in in the sense of uh, opening our eyes to that grief and trauma that's so rich in that world. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for reading it. I mean, yeah. I, I have to say, like when when people have actually read it, and 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 talk about it. it, it, it really does something to me to hear reflection about it, you know, and especially I think like, and you haven't been through this, uh, but I can only imagine the amount of grief your mom was dealing with yeah. when you were a little boy. So that's uh, something you can relate to. And maybe you had grief around losing your sister. Maybe you weren't aware of it. I don't know, but I, yeah, I mean, I wrote a piece, um, and I might read it in the intro for this episode about Hannah, you know, a number of years ago, maybe six oh. or seven years ago, um, thinking about kind of like what would have been or what could have been, right? You know, being a big brother yeah. to a sister, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I wanna, I wanna explore a little bit like the, cause really, you know, the macrocosm like of this show is like mental health awareness, right. And the stigma around mental health. Right. And, and, and a a lot of that is unpacked in, in empathy and vulnerability and talking about these things. I want to get into a little bit about like the stigma around pregnancy and like Uh what, what, pregnancy should look like quote unquote right and all these things all these shoulds that we put on ourselves there's so much richness can you talk a little bit about some of that like the comparing culture that we do Mm. the 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 notion that pregnancy is this many trimesters all of these like Mm. nuances of stigma that i i wasn't aware of oh that's such a great way to put it though the the you know, the sort of the ways that we see pregnancy as needing to be this many trimesters. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not validated unless, unless you live through all of them. That's a, a great point. Yes. Yeah, so pregnancy is supposed to be something that every woman wants. Uh, she's supposed to want to be a mother uh, and she's, probably expected to be i mean it it sounds a little old school i mean maybe some subcultures see it differently at this point but i still think that culture expects women to want that and so what we see in movies and uh, advertisements and what we then i think drink in so much through those things and then we project it out as we're walking down the street is pregnancy is the glowing beautiful woman. Yeah. Right. And I hear this a lot, even from my Instagram community and, and patients, it's sort of like they, it's so triggering after a loss to see pregnant women, 
But what I gently try to say, and, and you probably read this in the book, it's sort of like, but how do we know her journey? We don't know the path that she took to get here. She could be a surrogate. She could have just, you know, she could have gone through years of IVF. She yeah. could definitely be what I was when I was pregnant with my son, naive and blissful and totally, you know, clueless about the emotional ramifications of loss. That might be. But since one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, it's way more likely that, you know, so many people around us have struggled. Yeah. And one in eight people deal with fertility issues and one in 160 deal with stillbirth. And then of course there's the statistic around terminating for medical reasons, which I don't, they don't have the numbers for because there's so much shame in that for so many people um, yeah. stigma. So we're supposed to glow <laughs> and we're supposed to love the ride and we're supposed to work at the same time. And we're, you know, all of that, but and, and I understand why. So a lot of people say, you know, it should be integrated. And I, I agree. It should be more integrated into the cultural conversation that not all pregnancies last. That's totally true. And my kids yeah. know that already. And I'm glad I'm doing that at home. But we also don't want to scare people. I mean, it's, I don't know that it's the doctor's job to say, just FYI, one in four pregnancies and you know when mm. you first find out you're pregnant i don't think you want to hear that yeah we need to figure out a better way in that kind of acknowledges the excitement but also acknowledges the reality which is mm. pregnancy loss is a normal outcome of pregnancy it doesn't mean it's great it doesn't mean we shouldn't have a lot of feelings about it but it's it's usually a chromosomal issue and uh, it's not a fault of the woman's, which is a whole other thing we can get into if you'd like. But if we were to talk more about the fact that this is normal, I don't think people would turn it in on themselves. I agree. I, I think it's, um, it's like representation in anything, right? Exactly. Like, Yes. It, 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 for a time, maybe it feels maybe it feels weird. Maybe it feels uncomfortable. Maybe it fe maybe it's stirring emotions in us that we haven't felt before. But we can do hard things as humans. We are resilient, right? Yes. Um, having the conversations will only allow us to see the good and the bad. Or we don't even want to use those those binary right. terms. The the. The joy and the light, the dark, it's all the human experience. It's like, I, I feel like that is the lens we need to look at the world in every capacity. It's like, okay. these are the possibilities. These are the brights and the darks. These are the ups and the downs. And that's what the beauty of humanity is. I couldn't agree more. And, and how great would it be if we, within society, though, had these sort of like, you know, pillows that would catch us when we fall into one of those buckets or when we become one of those statistics. So if mm. it's a mental health struggle or a pregnancy loss or whatever, so that we not only knew like, okay, I'm not alone, but you feel not alone. I yeah. think that would upend this sort of like all the stigma. Cause it's like, yeah, I'm just another person who went through this and yeah. grief is unique. Uh, but at least we know that other people, you know, unique to all of us, but it, at least we would know that we weren't alone in that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think those pillows can be your book. It can be the <laughs> yeah. campaign. It could be, mm -hmm. you know, podcasts like this or other wonderful, you know, Modern Loss is a wonderful community, right? Like yeah. there are pockets of that safety in the, in the pillows <laughs> um, <laughs> out there. Uh, I think we, I think the challenge is sometimes individual initially, right? Like it's like getting to the point where we can allow ourselves to feel seen in our hurt and our pain, you know, and um, how was that for you initially? Because you, you said, you know, it obviously took some time after 
uh, your daughter was born, um, yeah. Noah, and like how was it hard? Like, because I, I know for me, like when I first started like openly talking about my depression and my anorexia, there were there were years of just like personal writing I had to do before I can put it out into the world, you know? Mm. It's interesting because as a psychologist, I really had to think through, you know, what are the potential ramifications of sharing something mm. so personal? But I think that miscarriage feels very different than depression because sure. in a way one could argue this happened to me. So I didn't feel like it was as revealing, I guess. Um, and I didn't think I did anything, not that hopefully you don't think you did anything either, but like right. mo it, the, the research shows that a majority of women are blaming themselves right. and that they feel a sense of guilt. Uh, and I didn't relate to any of that. Mm, yeah. And yeah. So I think given that I, I, that's why I wanted to kind of like step out and just say like, okay, here are the gory details of my story. Uh, and I felt really lost after my loss. Uh, yeah. Like just, it was the, the wonky hormones. It was the breast milk coming in. It was the, all of it. And, and the comments that came to me from people around me, mostly about how quote unquote good I looked after my loss, which I thought was stunning uh, that people were commenting on my body because I lost, like the weight just fell off. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I felt like it was a responsibility to myself and to my loss and to all these women that sit in my office and the women I'll never meet yeah. around the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, so you know, there. yeah. And in your career as a, as a therapist and you're hearing these stories and you're seeing, you know, firsthand, like that shame, you're seeing like the, the, the layers yeah. of that stuff that, we need, you know, you need to get out there. And I, 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 I'm grateful that you did. And you wrote this book because, um, like for instance, you said one in four, uh, pregnancies end up in miscarriage. Like that's a, uh, astounding statistic. Like I had no idea. Right. And another piece of that you said that is astonishing to me is, um, like I had, I think I had this uh, notion, and I don't know where I picked it up, but you speak on it in the book about, um, you know, it's it's basically like a behavioral thing that leads to miscarriage as opposed to um, uh, a, a genetic thing. Is it or is it genetics or uh, hormonal or whatever? But um, chromosomal, chromosomal. Yes, that's the oh, word. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. It, so, like, you know, this notion that, like, you know. It's like behavior and like, no wonder, like, there's some self-blame in that when it happens, you know? So, just like that fact alone is very enlightening. Mm. But why is it that people would blame themselves for something over which they have no control? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, uh, it's our culture. Um, it's it's American individualism, it's yes. patriarchy, it's misogyny. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's, you said it before, it's like women have to be these glowing orbs. They have to work. They have to be, you know, Diane Keaton and baby, baby, uh, baby boom. <laughs> you know, they have oh, to right. be, yes. right. They have to be these like pillars of strength and, you know, rate, you know, do all these things. And like, it's just not true, you know? Uh, and yet there's so much, even if we don't like tell ourselves outwardly, I think there's still so much sinewy, like back in the back in our minds, like unconscious stuff that still speaks to these untruths, you know, mm. that we still need to explore to unpack and unlearn. It exists right. in all of us. Yes. And I think those things get like tickled at when you're feeling especially alone or isolated mm. or alienated, right? Yeah. Don't you think yeah. that stuff gets stimulated then? Yeah. yeah, I think so. 
so I want to talk a little bit about um, trauma and the experience of trauma. Like you, you alluded to uh, in your book that we have a tendency as humans to want to swiftly get back to quote unquote normalcy, right? Yeah. Um, and I think about that in context of like, even these times we're living in, you know, in a global pandemic, right? Like this desire to like want um, what once was, right? We want our comforts. We want the things yes. that bring us comfort. We want our routines. Like these are things that bring us comfort. Um, That's right. And when it comes to trauma, like it's uh, it's such a normal thing. It's such a human thing to want to just try to like bypass it, just, just bypass that pain. Can yes. you talk like as, you know, personally or as a therapist, however you want to take it, like just about why it's maybe more fruitful uh, eventually to to not do the bypassing and to to allow ourselves to experience the trauma in whatever we, way we need. Yeah, um, I think that it is natural and normal to try to stave it off. Yeah. And I don't think that's conscious. So I look back and it's not that I wanted to get everything necessarily back to normal, but I did, I didn't want to fall. I didn't want to free fall. And I think that's what it felt like it was about to be. I mean, mm. it definitely was. And so I like clawed at the walls to try <laughs> not to slip, but I kept slipping. And I think once I, not even once I realized, just like once it wasn't working and I let myself kind of sink. That is when I was able to understand what the fuck was going on um, yeah. and not understand, but just kind of uh, validate, like acknowledge the intensity and the profundity of the trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was trying yeah. to like keep it together. And also, I mean, I was a mother, so I didn't want to fall apart fully in front of my son either, but one could argue that was even part of like an excuse that I mm -hmm. uh, held on to, you know, just in an attempt to not plummet. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 the more we try to stave off the hard stuff, the longer it sticks around. I mean, I, I think that's like a very sort of oversimplified way of saying, feel what you feel, because the, the longer you try not to, the longer it, it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I think I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I, um, and I don't bring it up to like, for the listeners, I don't bring it up as like, if you are maybe holding on to something in that way or develop tools to like, maybe bypass some of that pain. Like, as as Jessica said, it's very human. And I've learned to like, and maybe you can speak to this too. I've learned to like, see, you know, like, for instance, my in my life, like see that my tendency to shut down emotionally was a tool that I developed in childhood that uh, helped me uh, sort of overcome whatever those experiences were. They made me feel maybe safer at the time, and I can right. honor that survival mechanism and say, hey, buddy, you served me for a time. I value right. you, and maybe you don't serve me any longer, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I think that's the kind of thing, though, that turns into – heavy drinking as, as you called it, you know, on, on your Instagram page, you know, it's like yeah. we can see how these things can morph into potentially self-destructive ways that we're, you know, trying to get away from feelings or trying to deal with the grief or the trauma uh, in yeah. adult life. Yeah. Uh, and so it's important for us to be honest with ourselves when we evaluate, you know, what, where, what am I actually feeling? And, and are the behaviors that I engage in, are they trying to keep me away from those feelings? And 
And if they are, that's okay too. But just to acknowledge, like, what am I doing? What are these relationships with my uh, surroundings and my behaviors? You know, what, it, what, it, what is it serving me? Yeah. Um, yeah. Curiosity. I mean, the more curiosity I think we have, uh, the better. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in every, every, everything it's, uh, uh, but it takes, it takes, it takes a humbling. It takes yes, a courage. willingness to look at the, um, courage for sure. Willingness to look at the, the apparatus of like life that we've been living in and how that informs us and maybe, uh, sort of keeps us from growing, you know, and totally. And there's so much apparatus, <laughs> as you know, religion, right. uh, yes, you know, gender, you know, uh, culture, you know, all of it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think you know the framing typically comes though directly from our childhood, so the way that yeah. we handle our own emotional lives and. If we learn that expressing feelings is not acceptable, uh, then we got to figure that out as we get older because it's a hard one. Yeah. And trying to bypass trauma, it just like, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. It pops yep. up in other places. It does. Yeah, like like you mentioned, maybe drinking i mean just just uh i mean listeners know i've talked about this the ace you know the adverse childhood experiences and and how those relate to mental illness and substance abuse and all these things um like that stuff is enlightening gosh for sure have have you read the deepest well no oh man it was written by nadine burke harris the um surgeon general of california Mm. And it's all about the ACE, the ACE studies and, and stuff. And I, I had to, I had to put it down cause it was, um, it was hard to read, you know, it's, it's like the, how trauma can, and so clearly shape, uh, lives. Um, yes. Yeah. It's hard. And brains. And brains. brains. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to read that. I haven't read a book yeah. in, since I started writing mine. <laughs> well, that's understandable. <laughs> it's understandable. It's time. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. We, my wife and I, and a few cl- close friends in our pod have been every Sunday doing uh, a reading hour where we get together. Yeah. And even uh, our kids, uh, not our kids, our friends' kids will sit down for a couple of hours and we just read our books in our backyard Wonderful. and have tea. I love and that. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's been that's such a good ritual. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Um, yeah. There is a quote in your book that uh, there, there's a number of quotes, but I'll, I'll just read one that I shared with you via Instagram that I, I just think is so profound and true, and and just speaks to I think uh, why I do what I do. I think why you do what you do, and the quote is this. We've become accustomed to living parallel to one another, oblivious of the pain we're all trying to overcome. And, you know, uh, like that, that's, that's depressing. That makes me, that makes my heart break. And it also um, gives me hope. And by that, I mean, I think we all have the capacity uh, innately and maybe not innately, maybe we need to work on it, but we have the capacity to show up for others, um, to see others in the way that they need to be seen, um, to add, you know, you said before to add the, the context of like, Hey, maybe this person is dealing with something we don't know, right. To not go into any situation with preconception or prejudgment, and just show up as humans face to face. And I, I think that's that's the greatest gift we can give one another. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Wait, are you working on creating a society that's like that? <laughs> that's my goal. I mean, that's that's what I want to do with a the Feel the Human. Free. Yeah. Yes, the Feel the Human Collective. That's really the aim is is to is to create more education and space like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 That's great. <laughs> um so your book is out march 9th uh and today as of this recording it's february but um listeners it's f- march 8th for you so make sure to buy i had a miscarriage uh 
Uh, it's out everywhere. Uh, definitely support your local bookshop if you can. Um, bookshop.org is a great website for that. Um, but, you know, support Jessica Zucker. She's put so much of her personal blood, sweat, and tears uh, literally into this book. Um, it's a beautiful book. Uh, even if you haven't experienced uh, a miscarriage, it's... Um, something that will make you better as a human uh, and as a feely human uh, in that. So uh, go pick it up. Uh, Jessica, let's talk about empathy heroes. This is the part of the show we wrap up talking about the people in our lives, even characters from stories, if we want, um, who are deeply empathetic, compassionate. I'm going to go first to give you a second to think about yours. Um, my empathy hero this week is the author Beverly Daniel Tatum. She wrote uh, a book that I'm listening to on audiobook right now. It's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? Oh. And I wanted to read, uh, read a quick quote from uh, Beverly. It's uh, this, quote, It is important to understand that the system of... of I'm going to try that again. It is important to understand that the system of advantage is perpetuated when we do not acknowledge its existence. That's, yes. It's everything, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Um, We need to acknowledge these things. We need to talk about them. We need to get them out. Um, And, and, uh, you know, writing is a a force of that and and, uh, talking and vulnerability and empathy and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying the book, and uh, Beverly Daniel Tatum is my empathy hero this week. How about I you? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I should have thought about this. Um, <laughs> I should have prepped you, sorry. Yeah, no, I think it's like, I keep trying to think of somebody else, but the person that keeps coming to mind is my daughter. Uh, she's seven now, and I, I mean, I'm sure hopefully all parents feel this way about their children, but... Uh, her level of vulnerability is enviable and mm. so, so beautiful. Uh, you know, this is like before they learn or, you know, before they interact with enough things in the world to, to help them see it in other ways as well. And the way that she can express love and connection is like, it's healing for me, actually. Very... Mm. And just, it's shocking. Uh, You know, this morning she was struggling with wanting to do something and she didn't have time. School, um, online school was starting. And and she just kind of like walked into me without even like throwing her arms around me, which she typically is like, you know, big into hugging. But she just does this thing where she'll, just walk and like lean into me and, mm. and that is enough for her. And we don't even have to say anything. And like, I put my arm around her, but she just leans there and it's like, that's it. Mm. That just like set her day back to something and mine. Uh, but I mean, she finds something so valuable in connecting like that. So it, that's the long version of my answer. Oh, I, I could have. I want to be you. her. Yeah, I mean, it's so beautiful, and I—that's I, oh. another like area, you know, just the another apparatus, if you will, of like this idea that like, oh, kids are kids, you know, they they don't contain immense wisdom and beauty, and of course they do, you know, they and do they know more than we do? Yeah, we unlearn these things exactly. You know? exactly. We put up walls, and they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love that so much. Um, well, Jessica, where can the listeners connect with you? Obviously, order your book, I Had a Miscarriage, and all that loveliness. Yes. And there's an audiobook as well, if, if you're more prone to listening. And I I dared to narrate this thing on my own. Ooh, so I don't nice. know if that was a good call or not, but <laughs> I tried. And, uh, but on Instagram, I'm at, I had a miscarriage and my website is drjessicazucker.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Yumi Empathy, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And to you listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring, pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy.